0: Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a Supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to this series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Schulman,
1: And I'm Marie Vigouroux. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural, Season 4, Episode 3, In the Beginning. Let's get this show on the road.
0: Now, I think it was actually during canon or fan in this last uh, holidays, you mentioned in your dislike of time travel that we were going to get another time travel-esque story. Given that Cass can magically just send Dean back in time out of nowhere, I'm going to safely assume this is not the last time they will use this.
1: It's a very well-used trope in supernatural fan fiction.
0: I think the going back in time thing can be done very well in a lot of cases. I'll be upfront; I thought it was done pretty well in this episode. I really liked the use of it to get the point across.
1: I don't like time loops in general, as I've made very clear.
0: I feel like time travel in any story can go wrong really quickly. I think here they establish, and I know this is supernatural, so when I say they established a very decent set of rules right now, that could be completely null and void next week
1: you're nailing it. And that's kind of also like always a concern for me whenever we're talking about any quote unquote new lore. And in this case, it's time travel, right? Like we don't know if that's going to get retconned later. So anyway, like we'll see, we'll see if they follow up with that. In the context of this contained episode, I feel like they used like the time travel very well.
0: Why don't I give us a uh, small recap for the listeners so we can get into the long game and because I'm sure there's a lot to talk about.
1: I'll count you down. Three, two, one,
0: go. We open on the brothers. Sam sneaks out to go see Ruby. Sam's gone for the rest of the episode. The end of Sam's story, this entire episode, that's his entire story done. Everything's Dean now. Dean gets sent back in time because Cass can magically do that. Angels, new rules, cool. Not questioning it. He immediately meets his father before his father has proposed to his mother. So it's kind of this really nice, like, Dean getting to learn a bit more about his father before he became the John we all know. And I air quote the words love here when I meant to say hate. We then also get to meet their mother, who up until this point has basically been a ghost and a story. And here she is as a badass hunter. Are you, hunter? Because she comes from a family of hunters? And her parents are Sam and Dean, which is really, where their names come from, which is really adorable. And I love the family dynamic. I love how they kind of like bring Dean in and like you see some of this like family dynamic even though he knows he can't admit it. And even when he does admit it, it's like weirdly accepted by his grandfather. We learn that Azazel is back because this is his doing. And that's why he's back. Cass has given him this vague, you gotta stop this thing. And then turns out he can't stop it. And then he comes back to the present and he's all, Cass is all like, ah, you couldn't stop what happened in the past because it's already happened. But you can stop the future, which is Sam and this whole demon blood thing. Dun, dun, dun. Do we even get to see, oh, sorry, time. Do we even get to see Sam again at the end of the episode? Does he even like come back?
1: It literally just ends on that. Sam's not looking
0: for you. I feel like most episodes we kind of focus on like each brother and how the episode tends to lean on one of them more than the other.
1: Yeah, this is a Dean episode. You'd be completely right.
0: Cass gets more screen time than Sam? Yes. <laughs> I'm not complaining. I'm not picking favorites. I'm just saying. <laughs> tell me that next episode is just like a full Sam episode without Dean because it all happening while Dean is in the past.
1: No, I can't tell you that. But I will tell you that the next episode is a Sam episode, though. And it's a good one.
0: This season has really grabbed me well, so I'm excited.
1: Amazing. So let's move into the long game very quickly because we have a lot of stuff to cover today. Go for it. So the very first thing that I want to mention as part of the long game is that this episode is really particularly special for us to look at because of the prequel that's coming our way soon-ish. I think that they're currently in the casting stage. So, like, it's actually happening. It is going to, like, get to our TV screens at some point. And just a little bit of FYI for you, Drew, like this is so the prequel called The Winchesters is created by Jensen and Daniil Ackles, who have a production company called Chaos Machine. The whole point of The Winchesters is to tell the, and I quote, epic love story of John and Mary Winchester.
0: I recall when this first got announced, I even in my little infantile fandomness of, the, of this culture and this 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 people's fandom. I very much got the vibes that you're giving off. Don't worry. I know where we are.
1: The reality is also that like there's going to be there's going to be some very cool and fun, diverse representation. So this is maybe something to look out for. It's just that, again, like if I personally had to choose about an like external story that I'd like to hear about Supernatural or like a spinoff. I really don't think that John and Mary Winchester's story would have been on the top of my list or anywhere near my list, frankly. I have a laundry list of things that I'd like to hear about, and I don't think they would have made the top ten.
0: Is that laundry list called your AO3 bookmarks?
1: True. We don't (laughs) talk about that.
0: (laughs) Sorry. Yes, continue.
1: Exposing me like this. What is this? So anyway... This is a pretty foundational episode in many ways, because it really sets the tone for John and Mary in the 70s. And technically, it should also set the tone for the Winchesters. Now, of course, like we don't really know how much of it is going to be kept. So we'll have to see, you know, again, we were talking just about how loyal to its text supernatural can be. So I guess we'll have to see like what happens in the Winchesters with that. So
0: as much as I probably will choose not to watch until I'm done Supernatural, so I'll be very behind, I'm assuming, at least until I have more empirical evidence from namely someone like you watching it first, I'm going to go into it with the assumption that maybe they find a way to do it good.
1: And the reality also is that Jensen Ackles really does care about Supernatural. So, I mean, if anything, it'll be done with love. And I think that that will translate so we'll see I'm, I'm really trying to keep an open mind about this but like i said it's not the story that i want to hear little side note this is not the last time that Cass will be watching over dean as he sleeps
0: you know what i don't even doubt that
1: <laughs> and that has nothing to do with my ao3 bookmarks thank you very much <laughs> just saying all right so we've talked about this pretty extensively already but angels can time travel that's important so let's just keep that in mind And we learned that John was actually a kind and loving person, (laughs) which is really surprising to us at that point in the story, because the John that we know actually abused his children for basically a quarter of a century and left Dean for dead in season one.
0: I think this, if anything, just speaks to how trauma and how, you know, the shit you have to put up with can really affect you as a person.
1: So we'll be talking about John a lot more in some episodes that are that are upcoming. I don't really want to get into that, but I absolutely agree with you. I think that it's a really interesting thought process to think about how did John go from this amazing person or seemingly amazing person to the John that we knew in season one. So I absolutely agreed, but we're just not going to talk about that just yet, but... Keep it in mind. Let's keep it in mind. I also, speaking of John, I want to highlight that when they're in Jay's diner, Mr. D tells John to say hello to his old man for him. And we'll have to get back to that. And even later in the episode, John says that he's a mechanic from a family of mechanics. So I just want you to keep that in mind. It seems really trivial, but I need you to remember it.
0: I mean, he's a mechanic who's the son of a mechanic? Like that didn't stand out to me as a thing to worry about. But now I'm very intrigued
1: when it becomes relevant again. I'll bring it back up. Don't worry about it. It also turns out that the reason why Dean has a 67 Chevy is Dean.
0: For all the good they did with the whole like, you can't rewrite the past.
1: But that's the whole point. That's to say that, like, it's not the past. It happened already. Dean was already there in the past. The reason why the things that happened happened was because Dean was there. Had Dean not been brought back, none of it would have happened. This is the whole Harry Potter conundrum again.
0: This is very much like my least favorite version of Time Paradoxes. The only movie I think that ever did this right was Bill and Ted, where they like legitimately (laughs) say out loud, oh, right, I have to remember to go do this thing so that... In the past, it's the way it has to be. Like, they literally talk (laughs) it out because they realize it has to happen a certain way.
1: I can't remember the name of the uh, the one where they meet Andy. uh, Simon says, and he's in like a Volkswagen van. And Dean is like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Like, can you imagine (laughs) Dean driving a Volkswagen van in a totally? Yeah, I can totally. Anyway, like there's there's stuff to talk about there. Mary was a hunter from a family of hunters.
0: That somehow totally no idea. Total surprise for me.
1: Remember when I told you, I think it was in in the pilot or in home, maybe we had talked about how like I was like, oh, you know, this seemingly foundational moment. But that's not what actually sets it off.
0: I feel like I was set up to understand that there was more to Mary's backstory than just she got killed and sparked this whole adventure. I don't think my money was on she comes from a family of hunters.
1: I honestly think that that was really well done, personally. Like, I think that that's very cool. The other thing about Mary that I want to talk about very briefly is that her worst nightmare was having children who would be raised as hunters. Yup. There's more to that conversation that's going to come to light once we have a little bit more information about what happens between that moment and when she dies. Because there is more to that story. But yeah, I just, you know, you can tell the pain on both of their faces when this is happening. Because you know that Dean is just like, he knows. We also meet Samuel, who is basically the John that we knew before this episode, but just in a different font.
0: Yeah, (laughs) well said.
1: I just, I don't like Samuel.
0: (laughs) Because he gives all very John energy.
1: He really does. He really does. Like when it's like, oh, he's a hunter. Oh, yeah. What do you do? Of course, he brings up vampires. Anyway, in front of Dean. Whatever. We also meet Deanna, which, listen, okay?
0: Hear me out. (laughs) I'm, I'm ready. Go.
1: Okay. I feel like this works really well with like a trans reading of Dean. Because if his namesake is a woman then maybe he was assigned female at birth and then transitioned and kept a shortened dean.
0: As much as that's like a reading that I was not, there was a reading that was brought to us by a listener that before I had never thought of, it is something that's always sort of stayed in the back of my mind and I love that reading.
1: Well, I can't get it out of my head either. I'm like, oh, that works with it too. That work, Oh, that works too. Oh, that works too. Anyway, and you know what's really funny about this is that I think that the show kind of made that happen as a joke to make him seem "quote unquote" less manly or more feminine, so realistically, it was made out of like homophobia. And yet, it like if you read it generously, you're able to actually say like, "Well, actually, this supports a trans reading of Dean," and that is called reclaiming, my friend. We've also officially entered our retrospective long game era because. I need to take you way back to 122 Devil's Trap when Azazel was possessing John and being nice to Dean and giving him like the appreciation and the praise that he was like he like so desperately craved. Azazel does it again. And this time with Grandpa Samuel.
0: Once again, Dean sees through it.
1: That's why I say that Samuel is just John in a different font.
0: And our poor Dean just understands. Wait. Someone's being nice to me. Something must be wrong.
1: Mm, I know, right? It's oh, why he dude. still can't
0: trust Cass.
1: <laughs> 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 ah. <laughs> Do you also remember in 109 Home when Mary's spirit tells Sam that she's sorry?
0: Oh. <sighs> <sighs> <laughs>
1: Well, this is why, just in case you were wondering, because we had a long conversation about that. You're like, what could it be? What could it be? Well, it's because the reason why he has demon blood in him is because of her deal.
0: Thank you. I'm really glad we're doing these. (laughs) That sounds sarcastic, but I legitimately mean it. I love making these connections. And I, like I said, I don't think. I would have remembered that. I didn't remember it until you brought it up. So I'm glad I have someone like you to do this with me. But like, thanks. I hate it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Now, actually, while we're on this topic, I really want to set something up like super clearly from the get go, because people argue with me about this all the time on social media. The Campbells didn't know about Azazel. They didn't know that he wasn't a regular demon that you sell your soul to. And neither did Dean, actually. So when Mary made the deal, she didn't know exactly what Azazel was going to do.
0: Like, I I think the only reason she accepts the deal is because she doesn't have the information that Dean got maybe 20 seconds earlier.
1: We'll talk about that a little bit later. Because people are like, oh, well, she should have known. I'm like, how was she supposed to know? Is she a mind reader? And I also want to highlight the fact that Dean finds out about the demon blood in this episode, but he doesn't know that Sam knows.
0: My brain hadn't had a chance to process that yet because there was so many things to look at. But like I had officially like checkboxed D. now knows this thing. But it's true. There's no way for him to go. Well, Sam never told me that he had demon blood when he was a baby.
1: Because they haven't talked about it yet.
0: Sam hasn't been in the episode yet, but. (laughs) 100%.
1: Let's stay on the lookout. Maybe next episode we'll find out about that.
0: Oh, I'm waiting for that angry conversation in baby next time they're on a drive.
1: So much angst. Oh, my God. All right. Let's drive into story time. How about that?
0: I love it. Let's go.
1: As we've been doing over the past couple of weeks, we're going to identify what the biggest choice that Sam and Dean make in this episode that really explores the theme of this week. And since so much of the episode revolves around Dean, how about we start with Sam? Sam?
0: I've got a sentence we can say about Sam, who <laughs> appeared in this episode for less time than it took me to explain this sentence. The only thing you can really take away from Sam in this episode, like I'm sure we can discuss more, but at least from my viewing, all I really got was he's still willing to hide what he's doing from Dean, meaning he knows what he's doing is not right. I say with air quotes because I still don't know if it's right or wrong. I'm assuming because it's demon aligned, it's wrong in the cosmic scale, but. He he is that very hero complex of being the main character. He thinks what he's doing is justified, but he still knows that he has to do it in secret. But he has just got this like desperation to solve all of the problems because he is the main character and that's what he has to do. So he is still making decisions like sneaking out at night and having this secret double life of demon hunting as a part demon, apparently he tucks it away. He tucks away the worry and the like, no, but I have to do this. I'm the chosen one.
1: The only choice that he makes in this episode is to sneak out of the motel room and to go like hang out with Ruby. And like, we know what happens or what he does, but Dean doesn't know because he's keeping it a secret. Like we know that it's not great because like, of the way that it was presented to us in a previous episode. But now the angels are like, you have to stop it or we will.
0: It's set very clear in stone that what Sam is doing from a universal point of view that we have to assume right now is the right way to look at things is wrong. And he is choosing to still do it because, as I kind of alluded to earlier, there is a desperation to need to solve this problem. And he feels like this is the key to do so.
1: We don't really know clearly, like, what he's trying to solve at this time. We can assume that maybe he's trying to go after Lilith, like, as revenge, maybe, or as a way to stop her. And I agree with you. Like, he is quite desperate to do it. The amount of desperation that it would take for him to hide this from Dean is pretty high. So that's, that's kind of how I feel about that.
0: I agree completely. That wraps up Sam for me. They're really we 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 have stretched a lot out of his 11 seconds of screen time. (laughs)
1: That's so true. I don't even think he says a word in this episode, does he?
0: He gets up. He looks at Dean. He leaves and we assume he drives away. Do we even see him get into a car?
1: I think we see Ruby in the car and then him like opening the door to the car. But I think that it's cut really short.
0: (laughs) He could be jogging over to see Ruby for all we know.
1: Moving on, let's talk about Dean. I think that Dean's, like, crossroad decision happens when he's in the car with Cass. Like, he still thinks in that moment that you have to stop it means that he has to stop his Azel, or to, like, stop the chain reaction that leads to Mary dying in 1983. And Cass is telling him that if he does, all the people that they saved are going to die. And he asks him, like, and you don't care? And then Dean replies, I care. I care a lot. And honestly, right now, like I really have to contain my emotions and modulate my voice because I want to scream into this microphone right now. (laughs) This is their third episode together, interacting. And Dean is already teaching Cass to care about others. And I think that there's a lot of despair in that choice that Dean makes. To choose himself and his family over the lives of hundreds of people. Like he's so desperate for that normalcy and that love.
0: Here's where my biggest issue comes up with this. And this is where I think the theme shines through even more. Dean has already been offered this exact same choice before. Albeit in that scenario, uh, which specifically was from what is and what should never be he at that point has determined it was a dream. He would rather suffer or risk his own life to have others have a better chance at life. And here we are, given the same scenario, but he is choosing to sacrifice all the lives that would potentially be saved by him because this time he's saving someone else, not himself. We harp on Dean's issues with self-esteem quite a bit, but I think this just goes a level deeper in showing how, when it comes to the idea of saving his mother, of all people, his mother, someone that he holds in such like high regard, because of her, like, almost holy saint-like status in his life, which I think comes from both being a child who grew up only with stories of her, and also, I'm sure the way John spoke of her, he would give up everything to give her a better life.
1: You know, like what you're saying is making me think about an episode, a specific episode in season 14 that's been on my mind a lot lately. With everything that Dean has gone through in the past, like three seasons and now going on four, he's now kind of reevaluating a lot of things, I think. Like coming out of hell and yeah, we're seeing this decision of him trying to save his mom over all of those people. I do think that this is out of despair. The words are hard to get out. But what I'm trying to say is basically that, like, I feel like this is not necessarily a choice that Dean would have made a season ago and probably not a choice that he would make a season from now. Like, I think that because he is in the headspace that he's in now – He's making that decision to try to save her. What do you think?
0: You know what? Like I hadn't put the angle on it of how Dean's experiences since that previous episode where the same choice was made would change his outlook on the world. And it is possible that given everything he's been through with, I mean, literal hell and back again, that his perspectives and priorities may have changed. But this still just very much reads to me like... You know, he feels in some way that this is the right thing to do, that Mary is worth it. I think that still just says a lot about Dean's character, that he still holds such a high value of family. And the idea of righting a wrong this long in the making is worth it.
1: And I think that the choice weighs on him also, right? Like, it's not a choice that he's making lightly. As he tells Cass, I care a lot. And then Cass leaves in that moment.
0: I think Cass truly sees how much pain it puts Dean in to do that. It's it's very much one of those I know I'm making the greedy choice or the wrong choice for a majority of people, for her it's worth it.
1: So here's the thing too, like usually we we focus in just on the boys, but in this episode there's another character that makes a huge decision, and that's Mary. <laughs>
0: You know what? Like, had you told me that at some point there'd be a third character in this, I assume it'd be cast making decisions. But like, surprise, surprise, Mary gets a like actual role in the show. It isn't just set dressing.
1: I was kind of wondering if you had any thoughts about Mary's choice.
0: I've been very good at keeping this distance from Mary in, you know, her role in the story up to this point, like. I've been spoiled. I I knew Cass was coming. I knew about the demon blood or little things like that. Like, I feel like there's a lot of things I knew from my time watching. I always sort of knew Mary would be coming back in some form. And I managed to keep myself in the dark on that one, because like I said, this episode 100% was a surprise. But I also understand why there might be a dislike for Mary. Like, I know she's kind of been given a bad rap like that much. I know. Seeing her in this episode, I do kind of get it. She made a very difficult decision, but she was literally being handed everyone you know and love is dead or for basically no cost at all. I can bring back one of them and give you a chance at living a normal life, even with the additional knowledge of this demon may come back in 10 years. I I'm hard pressed to say that I would not make the same choice she made. Like, that's a really hard place to be in, even if you have all the pieces. At least in this point, totally sympathize with her and understand what she was going through. And I think she did what she thought was right in the time. and I don't blame her for it.
1: I have a lot of thoughts about Mary that I know not everybody shares. So I also kind of want to, like, honor that. I feel like Mary's choice in this episode leads us the most clearly into the theme of despair, leads also to the most despair, <laughs> because the amount of suffering that comes from that one decision is unmeasurable. And the, the theme even shows up textually, which is really cool when that happens, when Azazel says, or you can spend the rest of your life desperate and alone. So Azazel, like you said, like, he puts her in a position where, like, he's killed everybody. You can have John back, but you have to make the super shady deal uh, with me that I'm not going to be entirely honest about and tell you exactly what I'm going to do. Her whole brain is, like, filled with shock and grief and despair, just to say it again.
0: It's not like she's given, like, 24 hours to make this decision. It's like you have 20 seconds. Go. (laughs)
1: Obviously, she's not going to make a good decision. And the reality is that we've seen what happens before when that happens. When Dean made the deal for Sam, you know, his brain was filled with grief. And that's what happened. We forgave him. I just find it interesting sometimes that we're willing to forgive some characters for very similar things and not others. So anyway, I also kind of want to take a detour here, like a tiny detour, if you, if you can indulge me, because her entire life, Mary's basically been raised by a father who refused to see her as anything but a hunter uh, and making that her sole identity. Reminds you of somebody? And then there's John who sees her for the person that she is. Now I really, before I go any further, I really want to put a caveat here because John doesn't know about her being a hunter at all. And so I really believe that he can't have a truly full picture of her. What he sees is what she allows him to see. And until now, she doesn't allow him to see the part of her that's a hunter. That wants to escape the hunting life, like we've seen that with Sam, who runs off to Stanford. So, like, all of the things that she did are things that the boys have done in their own lives as well.
0: The family lineage is strong in this one.
1: Oh, goodness. Yes. And I think that there's also something really important here too, because like by not knowing the mistakes that she made, the boys made the same mistakes too. Like it's only from understanding the mistakes that our parents have made that we won't be repeating those mistakes. Like even in the way that we parent our own children, eventually, if that's something we want to do. That's what people talk about when they talk about breaking the cycle. It's not repeating those things. And yet... In this case, because she never got to tell them her story or because they never got to see her story, they're making the same mistakes that she, w- she made.
0: It's like special to see that kind of like strong family connection, even if it isn't a very positive one.
1: It just makes you think about all the what ifs and like, I don't know, Ah.
0: (laughs) because now
1: do you understand my deal from season one when I'm like, what if Mary had lived and John had died? She would have found Azazel.
0: That is a whole new perspective on this one. Damn.
1: Three weeks. Azazel would have been dead. All I'm saying. I rest my case.
0: (laughs) Three weeks. You're giving Azazel a lot of credit there. I give him him a three days.
1: Is there anything else you want to add about this?
0: No, that covers everything I really had for our three main players. I mean, three or two and a half main players uh, this week.
1: <laughs> I love that the tallest one call, uh, like counts only for a half this, uh, <laughs> this episode.
0: And I'm being generous when I say half. <laughs>
1: I know, I know, I know. There's one last thing that I want to talk about in story time here before we move on. You know who doesn't actually get a choice in this episode?
0: John. Oh yeah, he's passive as all hell this episode.
1: He's never given a chance to really understand the complete situation in any part of the episode because Mary never tells him who she is or what's happening. And I just think that starting a life together on a half truth is not setting yourself up for success. And if anything, that is the thing that I have beef with Mary for.
0: I really think that moment there where she's speaking to him about, like, just take me away from this. As much as I understand how scary it might be to try to then explain why that is, I think you owe it to him.
1: And I mean, like, we've seen that in other, like, stories where, like, not telling the truth will always bite you you in the ass. And, like, I'm thinking specifically, and I don't know why this is the example that's coming, but, like, Lady uh, Edith Crawley in Downton Abbey, when she doesn't tell, like, her well, boyfriend, like future husband that, you know, who Mary Gold really is. Consequences, consequences <laughs> to lying to a future spouse. Also, the reason why this bothers me the most is because it's done consciously. Yes, it's done out of fear, but it's done consciously. Whereas the rest, she didn't have a full picture. And I'm, I'm, I'm willing to say, you know what, I understand. This, this I have a lot more trouble with on a personal level. Like you don't lie to a future spouse. Like not not about something like that. You can lie to them about, oh, your hair is really cute. But like you can't lie to them about like who you
0: are. It's like the whole like I I know it's kind of like a rough area, but there's like a white lie and then there's a downright lie.
1: So that's that's the only thing I had left.
0: Well, with all that, I'm ready to head over to critical time.
1: So am I.
0: Who was behind this episode?
1: Jeremy Carver wrote it. And just as a quick refresher, because we've only seen him in season three, he wrote Sin City with Robert Singer. He wrote A Very Supernatural Christmas, as well as Mystery Spot with Emily McLaughlin and Long Distance Call. The episode was directed by Steve Boyum.
0: Is this Steve's first directorial debut in the series?
1: Oh, no, no, no. He's directed a bunch of other ones.
0: Well, I think we do have to go to the more important part, which is the I feel like I need like a weather segment here of like the Jeremy Carver forecast Um, because we're playing this game again. Sin City, I couldn't stand. Supernatural Christmas was great. Mystery Spot was a masterpiece. Then we went back down to Long Distance Call being as bad as Sin City. And here we are with another amazing episode that I would say, yeah, on par with a very supernatural Christmas which means that his next one, I'm expecting mystery spot levels out of, which is a high hope, which I, as much as I say it aloud, I don't assume will be the case. I, I'm just setting myself for failure here, but I'll be very curious to watch this trend continue.
1: Can we say that there's an 80% chance of greatness on the next episode?
0: <laughs> yes, there's an 80% chance of greatness in Carver's next writing project. Back to you in the studio, Mary.
1: Well, Drew, I'm going to throw it right back at you with your lore of the week.
0: The world was not better before me. Sure, people did as they were told. People were punished by God if they didn't. But ultimately, they were kind of just slaves. I just wanted to give them more. Think of me like a teacher. People were already corrupt. It's not my fault they took my teachings of, you know, metalworking and blacksmithing to do you know, worse or better, I guess. It depends on your standards. And teaching people to make themselves look how they want was a bad thing somehow. So, someone wishes to accentuate their eyes with makeup or wear a pretty necklace for a special occasion, and some man loses his cool out of sheer horniness, but oh no, it's her fault for looking that way, which somehow makes it my fault for giving her the jewels to make herself look the way she wanted to. Anyways. Raphael, you really have nothing to say. You're going to let me sit here and blabble like this? Fine. Make me your scapegoat. Clearly, I am the reason for all of the evil that God can't control in this perfect little world. <sighs> what next? You going to throw me away and just hope everything gets fixed? Azazel, while I do not know what his plans were or may still be in Supernatural, his origins in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which predate both Hebrew and Christian texts that do describe him, Where in the Dead Sea Scrolls, he is an angel cast out of heaven and partnering with demons to teach humans the arts of warfare, of making swords, knives and shields and coats of mail. And I'm I'm putting this in quotations because I hate the wording that was chosen for this and taught women the art of deception by ornamenting the body, dyeing the hair and painting the face and the eyebrows. After the Dead Sea Scrolls, he is seen both in Christian mythology and Jewish mythology. As almost a scapegoat, it's almost that the name Azazel is no longer assigned to a character, but is used in reference to a offering or a sacrifice of a goat to God in place of sin.
1: This is really interesting.
0: (laughs) I feel like I've set a trap for you in a way where I'm like, here is the Azazel as painted by my interpretation from my understanding of him as a character, as like he came to Earth to teach humans things. And then was blamed for humans wrongdoing when they used his tools to do more wrongdoing, which I think makes him more sympathetic than I should have made him. Which (laughs) makes me now really curious for what his plans are slash were in the show and whether I may have been inadvertently hinting at something here. So I don't know what to do with this information.
1: The whole point of season Three originally was to set up the war between humankind and demon kind. So I think in that sense, the choice of Azazel made a lot of sense. Unfortunately, for budgetary reasons, they just couldn't afford to have like the effects needed for a big war. And so that's why you see season three starts, there's a war coming, and then season three ends, and like Dean is in a meat locker. They're in a suburban neighborhood with like a demon girl. you know. <laughs> so I think that that choice in that respect made a lot of sense. And I'm also s- like, it strikes me that he was a fallen angel because anyway, we're going to hear a little bit more about Azazel at some point, like much later on in, in the series. I'm just, I'm excited to kind of compare that with what we just talked about
0: today. I, I will also say one more thing that. Again, I use their name uh, in this little um, monologue, but I referred to who is likely the one casting him out of heaven, physically the act of taking him out of heaven. And in the original text, throwing him into a pit and tying him down with chains uh, was the angel Raphael, who I might be misremembering, but I'm like 92 percent sure does show up in the show at some point.
1: He does. I mean, you know, so I'm going to tell you. Yes, he does. That's
0: not even like a like you confirmed it. it was like, I know he does. I just don't know if it's like this season or like season 12.
1: Yes. So there is definitely a Raphael. It'll be interesting to see.
0: I'll be curious to kind of see how like the other characters who have biblical or historical backstory in these mythos are portrayed. Like, I'll be curious to know, like, If and when we learn more about Azazel, will anything I kind of described here make more sense or will it be very like, no, they went their own way with it? No,
1: I think so. I think it'll make sense because once they kind of reveal like what he is or what he was.
0: Would you have anything to share with us uh, in critical time this week?
1: I really want to talk about that moment when Dean wakes up and Cass is sitting on the bed.
0: (laughs) I am not surprised you do, but please go on. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Surprise, surprise. So there's a video of Misha Collins at a convention, and we're going to be linking that link in the show notes, where he explains how that placement or that choreography or, you know, like that setup came about. Because originally it was supposed to be a little bit different. And then Misha was like, well, Cass could just be sitting on the bed and then Dean wakes up. So they started going ahead with that and planning that. And then, Kim Manners, who was a producer, he's directed a few of the episodes, as you can remember. So Kim Manners heard about this and like made a phone call and said, like, you can't do that. That's too gay. Ugh. Now, in everyone's defense, this version did go ahead. They shot it, they kept it, it it was and they published it, right? Like it's 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 the final quote-unquote version. It is now the canon of supernatural that this happens. So I'm not mad per se, but I, but I am disappointed. <laughs> but seriously, like what this little tiny bit of information tells us is that the production team was very concerned about what could be perceived as gay or too gay. Second is that there was a sense in the creative team that there was an intimacy between Dean and Cass. And that scene and the discussions around it really show that to me. And three, there was already three episodes into Cass's tenure on the show, a struggle of who controls the narrative, his narrative, Cass's narrative, and who controls the narrative of Dean and Cass within the team. Three episodes in, and Castiel was supposed to be an like a four episode. Uh, character in the beginning and there was already struggles with who was controlling that narrative
0: it just goes to show that there clearly was some kind of disconnect between the people involved in the show on multiple levels
1: this is only going to get worse right because there was a concern and they decided to keep it anyway because anyway for for whatever reason they decided to keep it but this is only going to get worse. And to me, the apogee of that is really the final three episodes where you see the real divide within the creative team. So those are, those are my thoughts about this. And again, I think that it's so interesting that it happens in this particular episode that is now so foundational to the Winchesters, to the next series that we're about to get. Dean and Cass were too gay in that episode, right? So...
0: But let that episode be the jumping off point for the next series.
1: (laughs) Uh, Let's wish upon a star. (laughs) Let's go hear what our community has to say.
0: This week, we have a voicemail from Kayla.
2: Hi, Drew and Mary. Uh, It's Kayla. Again, I've sent in a voicemail before. I really wanted to touch on something that's kind of been scratching my brain for a hot minute. You both seem particularly interested in biblical parallels in this show. Um, I will preface this by saying I am a practicing Christian. So this is coming not only from a lot of study, but also from personal understanding. I would really like to talk about Samuel as he is in the Bible. And as you know, one of the brothers is named Samuel. In the Bible, Samuel is a prophet. And he's not just any prophet. He is hand chosen by God when he is a baby. The mother of Samuel has a dream. She knows that she has to give Samuel up to the temple for him to become a great prophet. And he does. There is multiple books in the Bible dedicated to his time in the temples. But what really struck out to me is that he prophesied the downfall of Israel, one of the Many, many times that it happened in the New, in the sorry, in the Old Testament. He prophesied the downfall of Israel was hand chosen as a baby and was raised in it. He grew up in the temple, was raised to be a prophet, was raised to be a priest. And it's almost a yin-yang parallel to our Samuel, who was hand chosen as a baby. To be a leader and have prophetic visions and was raised in a life that prepared him for that, but in a much darker, much more sinister, much more demonic way. And I really think it's interesting, and it's really interesting to me to think about and look at the two stories and how they are similar in so many ways. And the way that they differ is just that one small detail of one was chosen by God and the other was chosen by a devil. And we all know that Sam has a chosen one complex. He couldn't beat out of himself with a stick if he tried to. And one part of Samuel's story when he's becoming, when he's training to be a prophet is he was really unsure of himself. And I often wonder how much of the biblical story of Samuel influenced our writers when they were writing the early seasons of our Samuel, given how much they parallel and how similar they are. Thank you so much for listening to me ramble for three minutes. I definitely hope to be able to discuss more things with you. Have a great day. Bye!
0: That was three phenomenal minutes, rambling or not. I love them. They were great. I love being educated on mythology, whether that be any background or culture. This was super fun. I feel like... There is so many amazing parallels you brought up. I love this idea of like this being like the dark variant of the existing Samuel from the Old Testament, especially going back to this episode. We kind of discussed Azazel possibly being a fallen angel. I think even adds more to that whole like narrative. I'm really excited to kind of play with. I think the thing that like my fixated on the most with this story would have to be the prophesizing side of it. And the fact that, that was Sam's initial power, at least, was this kind of like future sight. I, I really like I would love to find somebody in the writing team or the creative team who was involved in this decision making. So I really feel like there's a good chance that's where they were going with this. And I think that is such a great way to do this. And again, I, I think Mary and I have both said it before. Our backgrounds do not really lean heavily on bible knowledge so having this kind of information made available to us by someone who knows what they're talking about is so invaluable so thank you so much
1: yeah absolutely i'm gonna start by echoing that kayla thank you so much for letting us know about this because this is not something that i knew as you were talking obviously i had to google some stuff real quick like just to kind of get an idea of like where and and what but like I think what strikes me the most in what you said, yes, it's the part of like him being a seer, right? Like he was seeing and also seeing the downfall, like he was seeing death in the first few times that he's had those visions, right? As we're often criticizing the show for the way that it appropriates certain mythology from other cultures, I find that one thing that they do really well is subversion of Christianity. And hear me out, because we get a bunch of different examples of this with the angels being one thing and then being another, you know, eventually God comes into play. So like, how does God like meet our expectations or breaks our expectations, etc.? And so I think that here, this is also what's happening where Samuel was handpicked by God, whereas in this case, he is handpicked by a demon, by Azazel. And so I think that that subversion and those parallels or that mirror actually, or in this case, the foil, like it it cannot not be intentional, right? Like I I always really hate to kind of like ascribe intention to the writers just because I'm not in their heads, I don't know. And I am not a seer. Like I can't, I'm not a... Mind reader. But this is so blatant that it has to be intentional. And I think that this really speaks. It it shows who the deeper audience is in this case. It speaks to Christians who know their stuff so that it allows them to kind of be like, oh my goodness, like this is a really dark thing. And it gives a lot more weight to what Cass says. You have to stop it in this episode or we will. Like, I don't know. I just find that this adds a whole layer of depth to this episode to know this about Sam. So thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. Because again, we wouldn't have been able to have this discussion without you calling in. So thank you so much for taking the time.
0: hundred percent. And I know I'm letting go more of my like forbidden knowledge of things I know that may or may not be coming up in the series. But I do know that Dean gets a bit of a like fate ascribed to him at some point in the series. I will love to know if there is any biblical parallels there when the time does come. I'll be very excited for that.
1: Oh, friend.
0: <laughs> Speaking of being called to a higher purpose, have you been called to any action this episode? As the segment is called Reflections and Call to Action, I had a reflection which led me to a call to action that is the complete opposite of my reflection outside of the theme we discussed of despair, I feel like a big part of this episode without really being uh, weirdly, while being very, very poignant on the subject never really says it out loud. And that is this whole idea of like, you know, your fate or your destiny is set in stone. Like what, what has happened will happen. And that kind of leads the whole idea of like, well, free choice versus fate. Like, how does that work? And I just feel like outside of a show, That just seems like an excuse for inaction. Kind of this pessimistic view of, well, things are going to happen the way things are going to happen. So whether or not I do them, it doesn't matter. Like that just seems lazy. With that reflection in mind, my call to action is the opposite, which is you can't dwell on what's happened. What has happened has been set in stone because time works in that way. All you can do is learn from it, grow from it and move forward. And by that same extent, unlike Sam, you are not a prophet. You can't see the future. Most listeners, I'm assuming if you can, please get in touch. We can talk a lot of numbers. We are, for the most part, all just human and have to live with the choices we have made and learn to move forward with the choices we can make. My call to action to simplify is just. The past is the past, but the future is yours to make with what you wish.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't I, I yeah, I
0: <laughs> did mine make yours even more difficult.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, because now I want to like talk about yours. <laughs> and I'm just going to say this because I agree with you that to a certain degree, we all we all have power over our lives. And I think that that's very important to kind of like step into that power. But I also want to acknowledge that there are a lot of cases where so much in our lives is dictated by things that we can't control. And so I'm always reluctant to say, like, you can do whatever you want, because that's just not true. (laughs) Like, there's a lot of things that I wish I could do that I cannot do. Those are because of factors that are external to me. Like I cannot control, I cannot control the housing market and therefore I can't purchase a home, right? Like those are things that are structural that I cannot change. And so just just to kind of like add that little caveat there, that's all.
0: While I may have been a little more general and vague in getting to the specifics, you are 100% right. And I think for a myriad of reasons, it's important to remember that there are things external to us. But I think in those moments, it's still important to reflect on the things that you can control within your limits.
1: Yeah, exactly. And knowing the difference between the two and, and it, absolutely. There you go. Like the serenity prayer, basically. Mine is it's going to be very simple. Don't lie to your future spouse.
0: <laughs> <laughs> spot on. Spot on. Spot on. I am cheering you. I'm doing I'm doing the the jazz hand clapping silently gesture. Yes.
1: And and what led me to this, frankly, is just that, you know, this whole, like, you have to stop it, et cetera. And, like, just because they didn't stop it there, I feel like another way to have stopped it would have, or or to have, like, maybe avoided Mary's death would have been for Mary to share that information with John so that they could have both been prepared for that day. So, obviously, this is a very, like, in-world, like, observation that's kind of, like, leading me into my own reflection of like, be honest with, especially with a future spouse. Like, I think, I mean, I've never been married, but I can only imagine that honesty is very important in a marriage.
0: (laughs) As a married man, I will say I have definitely faced that exact problem in some very... Are
1: demons after you? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, no, the, the lying to your spouse part. Uh, I have definitely been in moments in my life where I have not been completely transparent with my wife. And it has ultimately things have worked out so I can look back now and be like, you know what I'm better for. It and it's taught me a lot. But like in the moment, there is no shittier feeling.
1: Thank you for sharing that. It's it kind of illustrates my point really nicely. <laughs> You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira, Michelle, and Elle, for their generous support.
0: This week, we'd like to thank Kayla for her message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a three-minute voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward. And leave us a rating and review on your podcast service of choice.
1: And don't forget to join Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to patreon.com slash carrying wayward.
0: Carry on our wayward friends. I like forgot i take a breath in the middle. That's it. no, okay. i to take a breath in the middle. So I was like running out of air and I'm like, two, <gasps> one, <laughs> breathing.